Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept, one we are unwilling to postpone, and one we intend to win. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Deep Space High Sci-Fi TV Review Podcast, where we break down the latest and potentially the not-so-greatest from today's sci-fi television. I'm one of your hosts, Steve. Uh, and I'm Sky Marshal Chris. I guess you're oh, not yeah, a Jedi, Jedi Master, Master anymore. <laughs> I forgot about that. We're recording in the morning. Uh, this is a first for us, so we're not. Uh, I guess we're not fully awake, or at least it's morning where I'm at. <laughs> Yeah, morning where he's at. Usually uh, we record late, you know, after dinner time. But no, this is like a pre-lunch recording. Yeah. Not only pre-lunch, but pre-Super Bowl recording. We're actually recording this uh, a couple of hours before the Super Bowl. So, Yeah, talk about a super last-minute recording. Usually we, uh, we record a little ahead of time, but it was not the case in this situation. No, it's been a it's been a crazy past couple of days. So, yeah. Speaking of the Super Bowl, you have any? Uh, who do you want to win? We'll just go there. Oof. Well, uh, who do I want? I want the Chiefs, but I think the Bucks are going to win. You mm. know, I mean, Tom Brady. I think man. the Chiefs are going to win, and I want the Chiefs to win. <laughs> I don't know. It, it's it's weird because there has kind of been a similar start with Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady's careers um, to where, or not Tom Brady's, I should say uh, Russell Wilson's because uh, Patty Mahomes and Russell Wilson, their first time getting to the Super Bowl, they both ended up winning, but both of them, their second time getting to the Super Bowl back-to-back years ended up losing to Tom Brady. So you never know. We'll see. I envy our listeners because they will know the result of the Super Bowl, and we won't. That is true. At least when you're well, listening to this, you'll know the the result. We will while y'all are listening to it. That's assuming that Never they mind. care enough to watch the Super Bowl. I mean, this is yeah, a I mean, sci-fi yeah, maybe. podcast. True. It is a sci-fi podcast. Not everyone loves sports, though. No. We're weird uh, ones. You we might like be at both. a... Yeah. yeah we, we like both sci-fi and sports. But you, you might be at a Super Bowl party thinking, oh, man, I wish I was watching Star Trek or Star Wars, and you know, I could be right there with you. <laughs> Depending on how the game's going, I'd be like, mm, 
be much rather I'd much rather watch Trek or something else. Oh yeah, I mean it just it really does depend. But every time that Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady's played, it's always been a shootout. So let's okay. hope. Yeah, knock on wood. Let's uh, hopefully we get a good game out of this one. Yeah, but for all our non-sports fans, why don't we just go ahead and jump into the episodes? That way, you don't have to hear any more about football. You can do it. You can do it all night long. Yeah, sure. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> okay, then. Let's do it. I mean, come on. I just don't see a problem here. Let's just do it. I'm going to go do it. All right. So what do we got in store for this episode, brother? So for today's episode, this is part seven of our discussion. Is that right? We have had seven discussions. Are going to have seven. So this is part seven of our Star Trek Discovery discussion. We are into season two, episodes four, five, and six. Four entitled The Oval or Sharon. I don't know why I said it like that. It might be Charon, but Charon. it feels like a Sharon. Is Obal right too? An Obal for Charon? I, I don't know. That's a, it's just a weird name to begin with. Yeah. Apparently, we're not very familiar with foreign languages. If that is a foreign, I don't even know. I don't even know. We're not really uh, for verse on our reading and pronunciation abilities. Oh, nah, I mean, we're not bad. It's just I, mean, they well, I don't some even know what they're trying Latin to name. Some yeah, Latin's you know, to be a little expected, but I don't even know what Charon is supposed to be. I mean, we're we're getting a little bit nitty gritty on you know non irrelevant or non relevant details, but still, yeah. This episode is centric around a sphere that pulls Discovery out of warp, like one of those uh, Star Wars ships that pulls ships out of hyperspace. Mm-hmm. So. In you know this the spear is just kind of random out there, and it's kind of like an AI type spear, sphere, not a spear. But we'll start know. at the start of this episode, because <laughs> okay. that's kind of the plot. Is 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 now they are kind of stuck in this sphere's gravitational well, so to speak. But the episode starts off where we see the Enterprise's number one. Yeah, she beams aboard, didn't she? Or was that in the that was in previous episode? No, that was this episode. She she beams aboard. She's in the all yellow, um, Caucasian female. Right. I think this Number is one. pre pre intro credits. So, yeah, I don't think we ever get a name for her. But she beams aboard. She gives a status update of what's going on with the Enterprise, and it sounds like the hollow tech communication system fried all their other primary systems because pike is like i want that shit ripped out and let's just use good old good old screen to screen communications right so okay i mean i guess that solves one plot hole to where you know why they have holographic technology now when they didn't you know, when Deep Space Nine was supposed to be the first time they got it, and it's because it sucked so bad and kept frying their systems that they just got rid of it and went old school. Yeah, well, it might have been because it seems to be okay with the Discovery, so it might have been when the new, uh, what is the Enterprise, a Constellation class starship? Constitution class. Constitution yeah. class. Uh, so it might have been when those st- class of starships started coming out that that system just didn't work with their other systems, so they kind of abandoned the technology could be could be i mean we worked it 
I mean, we were talking about how uh, Enterprise was supposed to be the newest and most up-to-date ship at the time, and these, the older ships that they are using now look more like the old NX, older-style designs. Mm-hmm. So maybe it could be the new change in technology is just incompatible. So, I mean, that's... It could be an explanation. Yeah. I don't. I don't know if I'd like it as the explanation, but it could be one. Could be. That could work. It could probably could have taken them another hundred years to figure it out and get it down to a T. Yeah, it could be. Could be. Well, or they just forgot about it, and then somebody was like, "Oh, hey, I got an idea." Yeah, it wasn't a pressing matter. It's not going to make or break the Federation. So. Yeah. Exactly. Makes sense. Uh, let's see what else happened in this so, episode. Uh, well, there's I think there's two storylines in this episode because you have the um the bridge storyline with the sphere and then you have the Tilly storyline where with the spore. Yeah, they're they're investigating what we saw at the end of episode 3 was that spore fungus that had attacked her. They now trapped it in the yeah, I don't even know what uh, the mycelial chamber Whatever Stemmons used to go into so we could do is all jumping around. I think we'll just stick with mycelial chamber. Yeah, that'll work. Yeah. But uh, it was (laughs) – I was watching this episode, and it was like when the thing broke loose, it it felt like I was watching a giant version of Flubber. I don't know if you remember that movie from the late 90s. I do not. I know the movie, but I've never seen it. I've seen it once when I was a, a wee laddie. But yeah, it reminded me of a little, uh, a bigger version and a darker version of Flubber. Huh. Well, I don't know. I've never seen it, so. But I, I will admit, I did like the back and forth between uh, the engineer and Stemma, or Stemmons. It'd be funny to hear how he does, you know, with Jackass Stemmons from the first season. Wait, what's, you're referring to? Stemmons, the, uh. Back, remember when he was kind of an asshole before he got injected? Right, but, but imagine who, who the, was the back and forth with with the engineer, the female one. I, I don't remember her name that they oh, picked up. Um, okay, yeah, yeah, because she's yeah, kind of got was... that sarcastic, witty, and now he's kind of loosened up a bit. But imagine them two getting and trying to work together back when Stemmons was just a huge dick. Yeah, I'm trying to think of her name. I can't at the moment. It'll pop up. Uh, Chief but Engineer Loiver? Loiver? That no, that's that's the Enterprise oh. Chief Engineer. I made a note because I was going to comment how <laughs> Pike said he doesn't think an engineer will ever love the Enterprise like Chief Louvier. Louvier. Oh, the very yeah. the very beginning once uh, the first officer beams aboard. Oh, I didn't notice. Oh, that's funny too because <laughs> Scotty. <laughs> Poor yeah, Scotty. Th- that's what I was going to bring it up because it was a Scotty reference. Yeah. Oh, Reno. Reno's the engineer. Yeah, I, I remember that scene, but it, it felt like a pissing contest and a preachy thing about renewable energy and the importance of using renewable energy versus. Well, I mean, I didn't, I didn't like that. It, that's kind of where Stemmons took it, but I kind of like what the uh, her name was Reno, right? Yeah. I just kind of like her because she's kind of that jackasses, but intelligent, sarcastic banter. It's like, uh, you could, you know, keep throwing yeah. shade at me, but I don't really give a shit. I'm still going to do it anyways. And yeah, she deflects it like a, like the plague. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not bad. Now, when Stemmons tries to make the argument, tries to make the argument about solar tech, that's when I kind of start like, oh, okay, no. like. 
yeah, now this... you're just getting into pseudo history that I don't know if is even going to be true. Yeah, it was just one of those. It was like, uh, okay, let's move along. Yeah, because, I mean, one of the things about Star Trek is they never talked about, and I don't know if you ever noticed this, but they never talked about um, anything historically related that was in the time period that the episodes were made. So, like, if Star Trek, the first season was made in 87, they never made any historical reference towards 87 to 90. It was always several, you know, years down the line. Yeah, it was always mid-21st century. Right. And this just seems more like, okay, we're trying to push what's going on today into the Star Trek. You know, getting into the – because, you know, big oil versus – or oil versus renewable energy. Yeah, I mean, climate change is the – you know all the talk nowadays in the political sphere but yeah it, um, the one thing is it was like star trek at least watching enterprise or uh sorry next generation they found a way to bring today's problems in in a clever and either through alien species or just in a different way so it it is referencing what's going on today but it's not it's an indirect reference it's like right you know, it's, you know earth used to have these problems or something like that in it was just one of those kind of indirect methods when this was like a blatant slap to the face. Oh, yeah. Uh, where Stemmons is, is like renewable clean energy is the way to go. Oh, yeah. Uh, agreed. Like 100%. And there was one episode of, of the original series that's always stuck out to me because uh, it was the same. Really, there's two. One, you could say the first ever interracial kiss on television with Kirk and, you know, horror. But. The one that mm-hmm. I always think about is I don't remember the name of the episode, but they pick up an alien race to where half of their face is painted white and the other half is painted black. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the guy was a fugitive from, you know, a guy of a, the same species, but whose face was painted in the reverse direction. And yeah, they so went like to the left with... side would be one color, the right side would be the other, and this guy had them switched. Right, and they're they're feuding back and forth. They hate each other. They're more powerful than anybody on the ship, and the ship's just kind of caught in between. And they manage to go back to the planet and realize that their entire species was obliterated because their feud um, ended up being their own destruction. And one of the things that stuck with me was like, well, why are you guys feuding? Well, it's, well because the color on the face isn't right. And it's like, wait. Yep. Big we didn't reference even... to civil rights. Yeah, we didn't even know. But in an indirect like, way, it, it's like, there, but it's like right. It, it, it's, it's clearly not a slap talking to the face. About, right. It's clearly talking about the civil rights movement during the 1960s. You know what's what does it really matter? You're still the same race. You destroyed your own race because species the faces yeah, they could be. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. It's the same. You you destroyed your own species to because your face is just a different color a little bit like. I mean, it was great, but this is just... Well, this was an obvious preachy moment. Right. Sorry. Which we'll, I, I, uh, we'll I mean, move it's, on from, because it's obviously... Yeah, I mean, we tangented on a lot of it, but, you know, it's just these subtle details, these differences of what the original Star Treks did and what they're doing now. That the little... It's, it's the little things that really that start adding up that cost Star Trek Discovery. Yeah. So. I agree, and overall, I mean... There was there was a lot of character building in this episode for Saru because, you know, he starts out with a cold um, when they had the good old-fashioned team meeting in a conference room, mm-hmm. and then it kind of develops, and Saru figures out that he's going through, I forgot what they called it, was it like Valhir? 
their the Kelpians change to where yeah, they I believe right. it's like their their death sequence. So now that tr- that process has been triggered due to the presence of this fear. Yeah, I and mean, this was it, he, there was a lot of good. You learned a lot about their race, and it really builds up for the sixth episode, which we'll talk about here, the lighter the later half of our show. Oh yeah, but, I like. I actually really liked episode four. Um, I don't know exactly how you felt, but this one felt. I did This one actually felt a little bit more Star Trek to me. No, and I, I know I went on a that lot of, like. Well, I'm. Um, there was a lot of like little things that I didn't like about it, but just kind of the unexpectedness of running into a new emergency, a new life. You know, you know, having coming up with a new. Uh, you know, working together, coming up with a new way of solving the situation. And it, it was just, it, it felt more like an episode of Star Trek than this series long that we've been getting. Yeah. And the problems I had with it was the scene we talked about with Stemmons and Reno. And then, mm-hmm. you know, it was just a very emotional, um, at least the characters were very emotional, but a lot of it felt a little dragged out. The dialogue just didn't feel right with me. I, overall, I didn't, I didn't care for this episode. Oh, so um, weird. Now yeah. it it had a lot of potential because of the storyline with the sphere and what was going on with Tilly was somewhat interesting, but it just I don't know, it didn't sit right with me. I watched it, I even put it I made a note of it. I was like I just I'm not liking the over emotionalness and the somewhat lackluster writing that's going on. But hey, that's just me. I had I I guess this is kind of where we're going to differ cuz usually we have a similar mindset on these episodes, but I actually didn't think it was that bad, uh, or at least not to the point to where you're. I didn't really notice the dialogue issues, and I get that it was over emotional, but you know, Saru was dying in, in an extraordinarily painful process, and him trying to fight through it and save the ship, and you know, with Burnham. No, you know, you, yeah, I get it that saying. she was a Vulcan and she was raised by Vulcans and not to be emotional, but she's also gone through a lot of trauma and she's lost mm-hmm. a lot of people that she loves in her life. She's lost both her parents. She's lost um, Giorgio, who was like a mother to her. She lost a lot of people on her ship who she considered family. Uh, Spock is on the run for murder and being hunted down for murder charges. And now she's losing Saru. And she's going to have to be the one to kill him. So, you know, I, I can understand the emotional breakdown in that instance. That'd be something. Even, even I mean, Riker could too, but kill even, Worf when even Worf asked him to out of, suicide. So, yeah, even stepping out of that, you know, the Saru-Brenna moment, even when they're talking about this fear, and there's just a lot of emotion, un, like really unnecessary emotion. I mean, I won't say unnecessary, but just maybe a little over the top emotion like um when they find out that the spear is trying or sphere is trying to communicate with the ship and that's part of the virus that's kind of shutting down a lot of their systems because we see the universal translator is now malfunctioning and all this stuff starts malfunctioning so towards the end of it once they realize the sphere is dying and it wants to upload its consciousness or all its data into the ship's computer it that there was also a lot of emotions there where i really didn't feel like it needed to be super emotional you mean when it it was it was it was the bridge scene so it was like brenham was emotional like she was about to lose saru but it was just a spear that we were introduced to at the start of the episode well um i mean the spear is a is a living being you said ai at the beginning but i don't think it was an artificial intelligence i think it was an 
organic intelligence that has been roaming the universe that was about to die and it's transferred all of its knowledge so it wouldn't be forgotten uh to the ship as it's and it's in its last act it protected it from being destroyed uh when it exploded so its last dying act was to give all the knowledge that they had under the ship and and save their lives so you know it might have been a little bit overdone but maybe i'm not just in touch with my feelings and i really don't care for that over emotional crap yeah, maybe <laughs> that could be it. I don't so that's know. That's how it came I, off to me. And you know what? I, I I've had some similar with similar feelings on other episodes, but I did not have that same feeling this episode. I actually thought this one wasn't bad. Even and even when the uh, the crew on the bridge crew, uh, when Burnham was carrying off Saru, as they know that he was about to be killed, you know, standing up and honoring. Uh, Saru. I mean, it was a nice moment. It almost yeah, reminded nice me of touching uh, moment, but kind of reminded me of that Avengers Endgame scene that got that deleted scene where instead of doing the uh, the wedding to honor Tony, they all kneeled for uh, you know uh, at the battlefield to honor him. Well, there was a deleted scene where they could have instead of going with the funeral, they would have gone with everybody kneeled to honor Tony at the battlefield as he as he died all the avengers uh to honor it it just that's what it reminded me of just that sense of honor of we respect you and we're you know we're that's that yeah kind of tangenting a bit but that's just what it reminded me of i guess you never saw that deleted scene no no you know there was one thing that was funny in this scene it's when stemich is trying to calm down tilly and he tells her to start singing her favorite song and they start singing space oddity by david bowie which is from the 60s or the uh, the early 70s hmm. and i found that f- somewhat interesting that they would pick a song that's 200 300 years old i mean i get the audience is going to know it but if you think logically i mean how many of us are going to know beethoven's fifth symphony and it be our favorite go-to musical composition I don't know about that one of my favorite songs is tartini's violin sonata in g minor which is okay thanks for ruining my point <laughs> i know but they they you know when looking at star trek you know especially next generation they have a lot of beethoven and they have a lot of classical music but when you get to voyager uh tom paris loves rock and roll he plays rock and roll all the time uh the doctor is a huge opera fan uh sings a lot of four five hundred six hundred year opera songs so no, I mean, it's it's yeah, actually not but, beyond the realm of possibility. I'm not saying beyond the realm. So Stemmons, okay, it's Tilly's favorite song, so she's singing it. And mm-hmm. then Stemmons picks it up and starts singing it. I mean, they don't. They seem like they oh, would have saying... two opposite tastes. Of he, I mean, how would both of them know the lyrics to this old-ass uh, okay. song? Okay, I get what you're saying, that it's an old-ass song. What are the odds of both of them knowing it at yeah. the same time? Yeah, that I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. Actually... Hang on, I take that back. Now that we think about it, remember Stemmons and his uh, now dead boyfriend were used to talk about uh, the old music that they would listen to that were hundreds of years old. So maybe it wouldn't be beyond that realm of possibility because they were talking about old compositions that they used to listen to that I don't even know of, but I know that they're old. So maybe. I don't know, but this episode ends on an interesting note because Saru ends up surviving, obviously, and mm-hmm. his little 
threatening Leah fall out, and Tilly gets swallowed up by a flubber cocoon. Yeah, that was uh Oh man, was it was it this episode or was it five where um the cocoon sprays mist on them that's basically like shrooms and they start tripping out because they're thinking they're they get high as fuck off of the shrooms. Was that four that or was that five? Was, I think the, no, I think it was the end of this episode because That's how I it distracted him to get Tilly back in. Yeah, and I think that's how it ended on five. Or, sorry. Yeah, four. Started on five? I don't remember. No, I think you're right. I think that's how it ended for four, and that's when they were looking inside the cocoon yelling for Tilly. And then five, we see Brenham, like, doing that fake run down the hallway that we were talking about before the episode. (laughs) Yeah, episode five, Saints of Imperfection, where, as we were talking about before we started recording, it starts off with Brenham running to Stemmons' lab. And I'm like, if it's that important, what's wrong with just the point-to-point transportation on the ship? Or ship-to-ship transportation, whatever it's called. Probably be a lot quicker. And then the fake, the the run just looked entirely fake. Like, oh, um, yeah. the flashes like, run when he's going through whatever on his CW show. I know, right? Well, it was funny. He even admitted on an interview that at first they would use, like, a treadmill. But after a while, they just, you know, would do the top part of his face and would just wave his hands real fast to look like he was running. That's exactly what it looked like in this episode when Brennan was running. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know why they keep having sequences that were involve the characters running because it just it never looks great. Like when in our last part and our last episode that we talked about, um, Tilly having to run her half marathon or whatever, it, that didn't look right either. Yeah, especially since she stopped for so long and managed to catch back up and surpass everybody. Yeah, I mean it was just there's, but yeah, I, I think it's just safe stop to the say running that. sequences because it just doesn't look good. I think it's just safe to say that Discovery is just not a good show. No, they, yeah, it, it's a I flawed mean, show. It has it's a it's a mediocre show that has good parts. Pretty much, I mean, it's got it doesn't really have good directing. The acting's okay. Writing's not been very good. Writing's actually been bad. Uh, the consistency with the Star Trek universe and Star Trek storylines has been abysmal. So, I mean, it's just... Honestly, it's just safe to say that just Discovery is just not a good show. Maybe our expectations are just too high for it, and that's why. Maybe. Let's get into... We'll, we'll talk about more of Episode 5, because 5 is the episode where they Tilly gets sucked into the mycelial network, so they have to try to rescue her. Section 31 and Captain Giorgio is heavily involved. And this is the episode where Pike, he knows he doesn't, not he's not given all the information on Giorgio and whatever's going on. And he starts to pick up on it. And he's like, Brenham, I know there's stuff going on. Especially when um, they're tracking down Spock's shuttle. And they're trying to, uh, what's well, the they... word I'm looking for? They're trying to call him. They're trying to get him on Helm. Helm. Yeah, they're trying to hail him. Hail him. Yeah. Uh, they're, but they're tracking down the But he's not and, responding. Right. Uh, I imagine they were pretty shocked when they got the shuttle on board and found uh, what, well, air quotes, Captain Giorgio on board. Uh, well, yeah, they all came out. There were like six of them or eight of them. Were, they, were, they were guns drawn because, you know, Spock's a fugitive. And then everyone sees Captain Giorgio. They all put their guns down except for Brenham who leaves there another two or three seconds. Yeah. Oh, she and looks Pike, the, 
he grabs Pike's attention. He's like, Brenham, lower your motherfucking weapon. And then uh, that hallway conversation that it was interesting. I didn't know that. Well, I guess why would I know? But they make the connection that Pike and Giorgio knew each other at the academy where Giorgio is apparently a badass where she can get drunk off of her ass and still come out top of her class, uh, you know, ace and test, you know, the next day. Yeah. Fuck, I wish I could do that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and it's but it's one of those where, you know, just in talking with Giorgio and we see another conversation that happens later between pike and brenham he's like this doesn't seem like the same giorgio i knew at the academy and then brenham tries to play it off as well the war changes people and he's like no i'm calling bullshit he's like there's something going on and if you know something you need to tell me because he was also referencing um which she never did ash tyler well i think she does coming up yeah sometime during the rest of the season yeah i don't think she kind of I don't think she totally needs to because uh, this is skipping ahead a little bit because he eventually finds Section 31 ship, uh, goes on, meets one of his old friends, and then meets the uh, Admiral from Season 1. I can't remember her name. Cornwallis. Uh, yeah, the one that banged uh, uh, Malfoy's dad. Lorca. Lorca. God, you're terrible with names. <laughs> I really am. I'm, if you guys haven't figured that out by now, then. 40-plus episodes and you can't get it together. No. No, maybe in another 40 episodes. But uh show's got to go that long first. Yeah. So, you know, he's – where was I going with this? I think he's starting to get – as he gets more information, I just don't think he is trying to press Brenham as much because he's he thinks he's starting to get the full picture when he really hasn't, you know, not knowing that George is from another universe and, you know, all yeah. the rest of the details. Yeah, what Brenham really... pretty much says is, is, like, this is not the time or the place for the conversation. The conversation is – way too long for just a quick you know right. conversation in the hallway before she goes and sees ash tyler again mm-hmm. he's well, like just be sure you don't lie to me and be sure you we have that conversation well okay here's a uh, i know i've already gone on a shit ton of tangents today yeah but i'm but i'm going on another one because this this shit's really pissing me off all right so with the Giorgio and pike scene when they get in the elevator she reveals that she's a part of her badge as she's a part of Section 31. And everybody is so casual, like, oh, Section 31, they're Starfleet's intelligence agency. No. Bad. Bad fucking Star Trek. Because this is, I'm like, no. <laughs> Section 31 is not a part of Starfleet intelligence. These people should not even know Section 31 exists. Section 31 is supposed to be an off-books intelligence gathering organization. Like CI, like rogue CIA operations level shit that we shouldn't even know even exists. So the fact that these people, the fact that Burnham, the captain, and they're so casual about them going about Section 31 is completely ruining Section 31 that was set up through Discovery and Enterprise. because Or not Discovery, uh, Deep Space Nine. Because... You know, even with Deep Space Nine, you weren't even sure if Section Thirty One was an actual organization, because there was you. We were introduced by it by a man named Director Sloan, who was supposed to be a member of Starfleet Intelligence, but he actually kidnapped Doctor Bashir, and was a part of Section Thirty One to see if he was an at, you know, adequate recruit for the organization, given his, him being genetically altered. But you never mm. knew for sure if Section Thirty One was an actual organization because how they played it off was. Nobody would even – they mentioned it to 
Starf- the admirals at Starfleet Intelligence, they said, we'll look into it, and they never did again. You know, when they go to uh, a mission where they have to try and uh, they're going to a diplomatic mission on Romulus, you know, they capture him, and then they say that he was just a rogue member of Starfleet Intelligence. There was no Section 31. He was just trying to uh, – he was pissed that his mentor was killed by one of our intelligence agents, and he was just trying to get back. You know, it, it, there was always an era of uncertainty whether, oh, shit, is it real? Is it not real? And then you kind of still get that same feeling in Enterprise with um, – the armory officer who was formerly a member of section 31 because section 31 predates the federation by the way i don't if you didn't know that now you do so long 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 tangent to get to this point discovery is fucking up section 31 and is really pissing me off because section 31 was a great storyline a phenomenal storyline that they did in deep space nine and continued in enterprise and they're killing it right now now, at least yeah. the, the, the movies, the remake that they did, the second one with uh, Khan uh, Into Darkness, I think it was, mm-hmm. um, they brought up Section 31, but that was the head of Starfleet Intelli- – or that was the head of Starfleet, um, and they were you know, tight-nipped. They did not let the information get out to any of the captains who were there that that was actually a Section 31 base that was blown up, not just a library. So yeah. even then, they understood this. And, and I just I, I really just don't think that these writers understand. And I don't even think they've watched Star Trek, to be 100% honest with you. Like, okay, tangent's over. Sorry. But yeah. I, I had to get – that just really fucking pisses me off. Okay. Okay. What else we got? Well, what else happened on this episode? I'm trying to remember this episode. And, I, you know, it's only been like a day since I've watched it. <laughs> but, boy, it – Apparently was a semi-forgettable episode. Yeah, well, well, I mean, at least I really smoked because... pot, so I'd have an excuse to forget it. But what's yours? Well, it's like <laughs> I'll be a, like, I didn't care for these three episodes. I think six was the best out of the better episode out of all three of them. But I, I didn't give it two shits for these episodes, and um, it didn't really keep my interest when watching it. The Storyline with Tilly and the mycelial network where the May character is afraid of some monster, which ends up being the consciousness of Hugh, who is trying to, you know, the network is trying to eat Hugh's consciousness, but Hugh is kind of. He's protecting he himself with the protective, bark. Yeah, protective bark from some tree that's poisonous to the mycelial network. So they see him as a monster when he sees them as a monster. And. I was like, that's somewhat interesting, but then, you know, the discovery is like, they do a half jump where half the ship's in the mycelial network and half the ship's in regular space, and then Brenham and Themens try to go rescue Tilly, and then it mm-hmm. ends up Hughes alive, and then, you know, oh, hey, that cocoon that was in the ship, hey, you could use that to bring Hugh back to life. Now, I didn't like when they killed Hugh in season one, I thought he was a good character, and I like the actor. I mean, I think they screwed up in season one, and this felt like, oh, we can bring him back. We met, we messed up. Let's fix it. And they fixed it, but I didn't like how they fixed it. And it probably might have been better off if he just stayed dead and they accepted the mistake, but that's just my two cents and my thoughts on it. Yeah. I don't know. With, with Discovery, it feels like every plot hole that they try to plug creates two new holes. 
Yeah. So, and then it wasn't bad with the doctor and the way that they explained it kind of makes sense because he was uh simmons was going back and forth between the you know mycelial network and reality he was kind of his mind was getting warped between the two and he would have instances where he could come out of it and the only times he could was around the doctor and then yeah, supposedly I mean, he cried when was... he died and he kissed him and when he went back he his essence or energy was taken into the the network with them so i mean it's like it makes sense it's just eh, it's just it's a bit of a stretch but yeah, then again they made that's, a decision that's a to kill him in in season one which i did not agree with but i think it was one of those they needed to live with it i know he he was a well-liked character but they could have been planning to do that from the beginning i mean they did you know he did talk to him while he was in the network so he was i don't think so i felt like it was more of a hey we wrote this episode Tilly's stuck in the network. Now we could kind of just uh, we could throw some little things in here and bring them back to life. Oh yeah, that's a good idea. Let's do that. I'm sure that's how the conversation went in the writers' room. Mm. You know, because they could have easily just gone and got Tilly and pulled her out, and they were out of the Mycelial network. Have no need for the Section Thirty One ship to kind of hold them in place or or anything like that. It just felt like, hey, we could we could. Uh, we could stitcher this or suture this wound a little bit, and and uh, they'll forget about it, and we'll bring back this bring bring back this well liked character. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't but speaking, surprise me. I, I mentioned <laughs> the yeah. It, I don't. I think that's it, kind of how it was. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't um, surprise but me. We see it. some. We see some futuristic tech, at least Deep Space Nine and Next Generation era, with the communications badge being. Uh, present in the section 31 right that makes sense yeah. you know that they would have yeah, more it, advanced technology centuries and the advanced. cloaking holographic but the the ship were disguised as an asteroid just tailing to discovery so we did see some cool tech and it it's funny with the communications um badge that tyler has and pike's like what the hell is that i don't know if you've ever seen the kingsman movies i have actually Both okay so it reminded me of when the newbie's getting the tour of like uh, all these gadgets and he looks over at the tablets and he's like, what are those over there? And the, the head guy is like, well, the, that's irrelevant now. The The real world technology has caught up with that spy tech. So it's just, it's useless iPads. <laughs> no, I don't remember that part. I thought you were going to talk about the, uh, the lighter. It was like, uh, oh, let me guess, that's a communications device. No, it's a hand grenade. <laughs> no no it, it's more of like the spy craft developed this technology you okay. know so essentially tablets were around in the 80s right the 90s and then eventually the real world caught up and developed with the spy craft it's just a way of expanding you know the secret government agencies have this you know top-notch shit that isn't available to us normies oh yeah well it's because it it has the technology just hasn't gotten into the private market yet or the private oh, yeah, sector, yeah. I should say. So, I mean, it's not totally surprising. No, it's just, it was just one of those. I saw that scene, and that's what it reminded me of. That was the first thing that popped in my head. Nice. Actually, I had I did have that similar thought with the Kingsman, but I thought about the grenade scene, <laughs> the hand grenade. <laughs> so, but this episode ends. Um, you know, they end up saving Tilly. They sent they bring Hugh back to life. The ship's pulled out of the mycelial network. 
But it ends on an interesting note because you see Admiral Cornwallis talking to Leland, who's the commander or the, the captain of the Section 31 ship and talking to Pike. And she says, hey, whatever these signals are, are leaving a trace amount of tachyon, tachyon particles, which, you know, right. a lot tachyon. of people speculate that that has to do with time travel. And then, you know, Pike's like, well, it could also have something to do with warp signatures and transporter technology and all this fun stuff. So cloaking technology um, as well. Yeah. That's what the Klingons use for their cloaking Mm -hmm. tech. So it's one of those. um, Yeah, you're you're looking at possible time travel. But, you know, on the other side, it could be practical tech that we're familiar with causing these problems. But of course, you know, they're only going to bring that up if it's the non-practical solution. Right. Yeah. So, well, hint, hint. Yeah, it's big. Uh, big clue right there that someone's time traveling. Because mm-hmm. it makes it's not good TV if it's just hey, someone's transporting in and uh, and lighting these signals and transporting out. That that's no fun. We're gonna make it the time travel thing. Yeah. Right. Uh. So. Well, I don't know. Uh. Ta- let's see. Here, I pulled up the definition of tachyons for if anybody wants to know what a tachyon is. Uh, tachyon particle, because it's not just made up in made up shit in Star Trek. Yeah, it's universe. a real particle. It's an actual, yeah, it's a real thing. So tachyon particles is a hypothetical particle that always travels faster than light. Uh, most physicists believe that faster than light particles cannot exist because they are not constant with the known laws of physics. Uh, that's It's a composition, elementary particle, status, hypothetical, mass, imaginary. So supposedly it can uh these particles can travel faster than the speed of light. Yeah, it's a theoretical particle in modern physics that has not been proved uh yet. Uh actually I'm curious if it was a theoretical I I'm curious which came first, if Star Trek came up with the tachyon first or if physics did. Because that's kind of the same with warp technology. Star Trek came up with it the idea first, but then physics kind of caught up with them and said oh shit this isn't just science fiction this can actually happen yeah you know what i mean i don't know maybe something to look into yeah look into that i'm thinking it might have came first in this situation but let's talk about uh episode six the sound of thunder which in my opinion is the better of the three episodes we are talking about today it was so good that i won't say so good but it was intriguing enough to where I actually stopped taking notes and I had to like refresh my memory a little bit and add notes in before we even started recording. This was, yeah. I mean, this one was a more exciting episode. You get to see Saru go back to his home planet. A lot of character development for Saru. A lot of, a lot of world building for his species. And it was, it was really good. It was really good development too. Um, Mm -hmm. Like you get a good backstory too. Oh yeah. Well, you find out that, so the spear had encountered the planet and kept uh, – I don't I don't remember exactly what they said, but they basically kind of kept track of what was going on on the planet. And apparently 2,000 years ago, Saru species were the predators mm-hmm. where the uh, – do you remember the name of the – Ba'u. Uh, the Ba'u were the prey. And mm-hmm. the uh, Saru species nearly wiped out the Ba'u. And at some point, the Ba'ul managed to overcome and nearly wipe out uh, Saru's species. Do we yeah. know what his species is called? 
Saru's? Yeah, do you know? Kelpian. Yes. Kelpian, Kelp- that's right. They only say it so, like every episode. Yeah, I know, but I can't... You know how I get with names. I'm glad I just remembered it to begin with. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and it turns out that the Ba'ul have been suppressing the information about uh, Kelpian the Kelpian menopause. Yeah, because... <laughs> and the Kelpian change. <laughs> It's essentially it what it is. Puberty? I mean, it, it, would it be menopause I, or puberty? Because isn't menopause uh, like the ending of like that, where puberty would be the beginning? I don't know. He was sick, and you know, he had like a really bad cold. And I know through menopause, you go through like hot flashes and all these changes. So I, I consider it more of menopause than puberty. Yeah, I don't know because they probably have their own version of puberty at the start of life to develop into an adult and then they got this later stage of adulthood which is like species-wide menopause yeah i guess i don't it just depends we don't know how old their species can or how long their species can live for so yeah we knew saru is he was he's been away from the planet for 18 years because uh he got rescued he stole some bowel technology sent a signal out got the attention of a then lieutenant giorgio who rescued him. The Federation granted asylum. He joined Starfleet. 18 years later, he goes back to his planet. So we know he's been away for 18 years. Mm-hmm. Now, how old was he at the time? He didn't Could have been like 18. Yeah. Could have been 46. Could have been 129. We don't know. Yeah, we really don't. don't. It's still TBD because we don't know his lifespan. Yeah, well, I don't think they know their lifespan because they would kill themselves after they would start going through the box. True. But they probably they have an idea of when they I don't know if it I didn't write it down and it's the but I think it's the Valhall or Valhalla Valhall something like that something whenever they go through their menopause um, they have always thought it was the you know the Baal would get them and kind of execute them so they kind of have an idea of from birth to around what age so like you know menopause kicks in around forty five fifty years old for human women. So we know, you know, we know that time frame, but how far can they live after that until their end? And that's unknown. See, but here's one of the things that kind of confused me. I thought that in the beginning, he said that his species was one that were raised and farmed for slaughter to be eaten. Like they would eat them because the ganglia, the fear sensors that fell apart were what made them taste so good. But... It it didn't really look like the Baul ever actually ate them. It didn't really look like they had much interest in it. It didn't look like so. Could the fact of the farming uh, to be slaughtered just be an excuse, uh, or or just kind of like could a, have just another been story stories told? that were yeah? It could have been stories told just to like like with the great balance fear. that they yeah like they've been telling them or telling them telling them that. Uh, that they taste so good and that they eat them. Kind of like with the uh, Yondu and Quill with the Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. You know, threatening to eat them just so they comply. Yeah, could have been. That's very well a possibility. Now, now, when they were going through Saru's medical scans, I mean, he's kind of a scrawny... I mean, their species is relatively scrawny, so if they did eat them, I don't know... It wouldn't yield much. It's not like, say, a cow who's kind of big and <laughs> beefy. Yeah, but we we overfat. <laughs> Pun our, intended. Our animals. Yeah. True. I mean, especially the ones that are going to be raised for slaughter. But they're still a they're a, a heavier animal. That's true. I mean, even if even if you're just raising them for, could be that the dead 
delicacy because I mean they did say that the uh, the ganglia, the fear receptors, is what made them taste good. Yeah, it could be. Could so be. it could just be like a like a delicacy. Though. Probably whenever those things, those ganglia come out, they get a shot of endorphins or adrenaline or whatever, which makes their yeah. them taste better, so to speak. Well, I mean, I assume that the ganglia were uh, something that produced hormones in it because that's what like a form of gland. That that's pretty, what I was. Yeah, I that's mean, what I was just thinking or saying with the yeah. adrenaline or endorphins or something that makes it taste better. And for a lot of species, certain glands are actually uh, uh, delicacies. So yeah, I mean, it would make sense, especially since Giorgio in the Terran universe gave uh, Brenham the ganglia. Mm-hmm. I don't remember. No, if you remember that part, but I think she said it was even a delicacy then because she was like, "Here, I'll even give you my ganglia." As almost yeah. like she was giving it up, so. Uh, yeah, it might be like giving up. I don't know. But it, it's just Something. weird that they would talk about that so much in the first season about them being, you know, raised, farmed, and eaten. And it's probably just the ploy that the bowel instilled. Yeah. And, yeah. And then they hardly talk about it in this episode. Yeah. yeah, we did mention why they went to this planet because a signal appeared in front of Kamenir. I almost yeah. called it cashier or uh, cashmere, but it's a Kamenir. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, the signal brought them there. The signal was, of course, gone by the time they came back, and or managed to warp there or whatever they did, and that's what brought them to the planet in the first place, mm-hmm. which then... ends up saving their ass because the bull, you know, they find out that Saru and and Brenham go down to the planet. They talk to Saru's sister. Bruce, the bull, Baul is not happy about it, so they contact Starfleet, and they're like, we want our Kelpian back. Pike's like, hell no. And then Saru surrenders himself and is taken prisoner. And then he goes full Captain America? Yeah. Chained up to the wall, breaking off, uh, and then he just starts going rampaging once they start trying to hurt his sister. Because his sister knows about uh, the ganglia. And because of that, they brought her on board and wanted to suppress the information from ever getting out. Mm-hmm. But Saru goes all badass and just starts destroying everything. And yeah, well, they... we find out that after the change, the Valhir or whatever we're calling it, the Kelpian menopause, that Kelpians kind of, kind of develop a temper, and that's part of why the Baul were on the brink of extinction. The the Kelpians have a temper once they go through this change and are instilled with rage and, you know, they have Captain America like strength. So that's why they were killed before they went through the change. And now Saru's gonna have to learn to control that emotion. Well, I, I, well we missed the I guess we we should go into detail on this part because this was important. That um one, the bowel looked just like the mentors. I don't know if you noticed that. The mandors. The mentors. Oh, you know what this, he? This I was thinking things from Harry Potter. The way he came out of like oil, I was thinking it was the it was what killed Tasha Yar in, in Next Generation. Yeah, I, I had that. I remember the first time watching this when we watched it live. I had that same feeling too, but that was supposed to be the evil that was cast off by. A form of god that was left on that planet you know, um, you, you know what my theory is hmm. i think scooby and the gang found the tar monster and banished it to space and then <laughs> this is what the result is oh my gosh 
<laughs> I think I think this is the Tora monster from Scooby Doo. That's funny. And then you know, then they had to live with the Kelpian. So that's 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 yeah, that's a good theory. It's a good that's crossover. It. I think yeah, it'll work. That's, a, that's an interesting one. That's a fun. That's one. my theory. I I have really high hopes that they'll pay off that theory. <laughs> I don't think it will, but okay. Good for you. Okay, obviously Chris could not read sarcasm. I get the sarcasm, but good good luck with that. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, no, the point that I was getting to was they figured out how to um, replicate what the sphere did in the last episode, which activated or oh, not yes. the last one four triggered which, the menopause, which triggered the menopause, and they did it. Tried to do it planet wide. And the Ba'ul threatened to essentially uh, exterminate the entire Kelpian race. And they were going to until the Red Angel came in and saved uh, Saru. Save the day. And saved the day by destroying all of their, what was it called? The wa- uh, Watchful They Eye. were like little, yeah, like their little uh, pillars that they had in each village. That was like a big brother and would watch, or uh, Skynet yeah. might be another good reference. They had, yeah, they called it something like the watchful eye or some shit like that. Yeah, um, they, yeah. But that they had those had the power to destroy, you know, those entire villages, and they had thousands of them across the planet. And, and I almost said Enterprise Discovery uh, is not capable of destroying them all in time. So the Red Angel steps in, pops out of, out of nowhere, saves Saru, and Saru. When he gets back to the ship, we find out that. It wasn't a machine. It was an actual person inside of a suit. We, uh, yeah, because uh, Saru has this vision where he can see like uh, spectrums and things that humans can't see because he, you know, yeah. he has much better vision than humanoids or other humanoids. So he is able to see that it is a humanoid in an Iron Man suit that is our the Red Angel we are seeing. I love how we just use a shit ton of other references to describe everything. <laughs> I know they're I think their exact words were a humanoid in um advanced mech suits and I was like no 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 it's it's a it's a space iron man. Or I think woman. that's just iron man cuz he can go into space with them. Can he? Kind of. But yeah, it's just a, it's a it's a Star Trek iron man. So now the question, I think they did acknowledge that it was futuristic tech, so it was nothing that they had. So the um, time travel theory is looking more and more likely. Mm -hmm. So the question now becomes, who is in the suit, and why do they keep going to these locations? You know, it's funny. I mean, I would say this season was the better of the two seasons, and... I would agree. I don't remember who's in the suit. I do. I know. I know. I have an idea of who I think I remember is in the suit, but I don't remember who's entirely in the suit. I do because I did not like it. <laughs> I mean, I liked it. It was. It was. We'll yeah, we won't there. go into two details, but I was like, yeah, I, I've seen it. I've granted, I've only seen it once, and it was like two years ago. Mm-hmm. I don't remember. There's a lot of things. I remember how the finale ends because we know it ends with them jumping into the future because that's where season three takes place. Right. I don't remember much about the Red Angel. I don't remember. I don't even remember when we see Spock. I imagine it's going to be the next three episodes, but I don't remember. I think it is. 
I mean, you kind of have to. We're, ha- we're, we're, six we're halfway through in. the we're... season. Yeah. There's only 12 yeah. episodes this season, right? 14. So. Oh, okay. So we're um, almost halfway through. Almost to the halfway point. We will cross the halfway point next time. Yeah. I'm sure it'll be the next episode that we'll see Spock. Yeah. But so, I don't know. I actually don't remember. Oh, sorry. Uh, well, I was going to say, I don't actually remember how it ended. I remember they went into the future, but I don't remember the finale. So, yeah, yeah like I don't remember much about it. This so was kind I, of green for or this was kind of a forgettable season, to be 100 percent honest. Yeah. It, like I said, it, it had its highlights. What do you think of before we go back and talk about what we did? What did you think of these three episodes? Um, I know I talked a lot of shit about it, but they actually weren't bad. Like I, I went on like several long tangents. Yeah, you about went on a rage really tangent about. <laughs> well, that just oh my gosh, that just pissed me off. It's it's like it's just ruining a great storyline. It's very frustrating, you know. I I can't. I'm trying to think of a good example, something Star Wars related, but I can't think of anything off the top of my head. But that just really pisses me off. All right. Um, yeah. but other than that, they weren't bad. I think these three episodes were actually better than the uh, the first three episodes of season two. I think these were the best three episodes so far of Discovery, if, if I'm just going to be cut and dry. Um, no, nah, I, I disagree. I think six was good. I liked six, and I, that's probably been closer to the highlight of the season so far. But I think uh, the first three episodes had some better content than well, especially six definitely four the best especially four and five i I didn't care for like four had so much potential with that sphere storyline and i I, some things just pulled me out of the episode and um like you said with section 31 in episode five there was just some things where it like we mentioned discovery has been a mediocre show that has had really nice highlights here and there right yeah i mean I don't know, because remember, I had the difference of opinion with you on episode four. I actually thought episode five was the worst of these three. Um, mm-hmm. I thought I, I definitely think that six was the best. So I'd probably go, you know, six the best four the second and, you know, five the worst. But it, it wasn't too bad. I think overall, I would give these three probably a six and a half. Uh, five's kind of, you know, dragging down the average, I think six would probably episode six would probably be a seven and a half eight i think it was one of their better if not the best one so far yeah i I really liked how they developed saru and his species Mm -hmm. in six was it perfect i do too now but it was it was darn good what about you what are your thoughts Mm, i think i've expressed them i like i like six the other two are pretty much forgettable with um a a few exceptions i think the sphere storyline i think it had a lot of potential and it fell flat a little bit but uh, i think six would bring up my score to probably like a seven but six itself is probably like an eight so just not too so better it's getting it's getting better slowly but surely it's a slow yeah, like uh, said, it's a slow improvement, it, it, but it's, improvement. it's more of a none of these episodes are like great fantastic um, it's more of how much is the good moments going to make you forget about the not so good moments. Yeah. Right. So we'll see. Well, see, at least we can't, uh, at least we could say that we're not just 
total, uh, you know, we'll talk great about any show that ever comes on because we, we talk nothing but praise when it comes to shows like The Mandalorian and uh, even Mandalorian, we have some gripes on, but yeah, but we, we have some, but we Mandalorian's more praise than it is gripes, where here yeah. it's significantly more gripes than praise. True, true, true. So, and then so. what was our what was our other altered carbon? Uh, we've we've talked a lot of good stuff about altered carbon, even though at first it was up and down, but I think Discovery yeah. by far has been you know our toughest criticism so far and probably the worst show so far. We're you know, and and that's kind of my question is how does based on where we're at so far, how is Discovery doing against the other shows that we've watched? So Picard, Altered Carbon, and The Mandalorian. I don't know. Probably towards the bottom because I like Altered Carbon and I like Mandalorian. And Picard, I, those two are definitely above Picard and Discovery. Okay. I, I mean, I I would probably have to. Uh, ooh. Wait, hang on. Say that one more time. Did you have Discovery above Picard or below Picard? They're on the same tier. You think so? You think Discovery's... Uh, I don't know. I think Picard would actually be a little bit better. Either way, neither one. Were, they're on that not impressive tier. That's fair. I can't disagree there. So that's kind of how... I was going more off a tier instead of a one through four ranking. Yeah, that's that's probably a better or a more apt description. So. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's about it we got for this episode. Shall we punch it? Punch it, we can beat him. Punch it, kill it. Punch it. Punch it! Punch it! Punch it, hot light! Punch it! Punch it! Let's get the hell out of here. Let's punch it. What do we have in store for next week? So next time, we are going to talk about more Discovery Part 8, Season 2, Episodes 7, 8, and 9, entitled Light and Shadows, If Memory Serves, and Project Daedalus. Hey, I could pronounce all those words, and I know what they all mean. Well, my memory won't serve me well for Episode (laughs) 8, so we know that. I'm I'm looking at the little thumbnails that they have on CBS All Access. I have no idea what's going to happen in any of them. Yeah, it'll be interesting. We'll have to we'll have to watch it and we'll talk about it more next time on Deep Space High. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess that'll do it then. Thank you guys so much for tuning into this episode of Deep Space High and be sure to join us next time as we continue our discussion on Star Trek Discovery. Yeah. Don't forget to keep the conversation going with hashtag Deep Space High hashtag tacos and Trek. Also, be sure to follow our Facebook page deep space high sci-fi tv reviews and our instagram at deep space high podcast if you follow those plat or on or if you follow us on those platforms you can stay up to date with our latest announcements and shenanigans and we also want to ask everyone to please leave a review and a five-star rating on apple podcast uh it really helps out the show it's a huge benefit to us and it gives us the opportunity to uh listen feedback and get you guys better content so you can enjoy our wonderful shit show that much better mm-hmm. <laughs> all right well i'm sky marshall chris and i'm jedi master steve i know i didn't say it at the start of the show but i am him <laughs> and live long and prosper <laughs> <laughs>